Thanks for listening to the Get Over Yourself podcast brought to you by Carol Fit Stationary Bike Program 8-Minute Workouts to Get Super Fit. Perfect Keto, the cleanest, highest potency ketone supplements. MOFO, male optimization formula with organs to boost testosterone. Let's get checked at home testing kits. Try LGC.com. Almost Heaven, beautiful compact home use sauna kits. Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece, the mind-blowing nut butter blend. And check out bradkerns.com slash shop my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance. And here we go with the show. People who are most at risk for infection are people who are over fat. And we, we showed how the immune system changes when you're over fat and it can't combat infection. So we, we raise our risk for infectious disease. Over fat is just not an unsightly thing. Uh, we've talked about how important fat burning is, and if you're storing fat, you're not burning it. So it means that you're not burning fat, but it's worse because that overfat condition, like I mentioned earlier, is that first stage of chronic disease. We're back to the, the bottom line here, which is that we are responsible for our health. Even the genetic stuff that we have, our lifestyle influences a lot of our genes. Introducing Let's Get Checked. It's a new company that makes comprehensive health, wellness, and peak performance metabolic testing more convenient than ever. You have to check these guys out right now. Go to trylgc.com slash brad and you get a beautiful presentation of what they're all about. And what they do is at-home testing kits. That's right. They send you the kit in the mail to get the fluids they need, whether it's pricking your finger, uh, urine, saliva. You just mail it in. Don't even have to go to the blood draw lab. And you get your report in two to five days online with all your results. And they offer all kinds of stuff for health and wellness. You get your male and female sex hormone panels, comprehensive nutrition panels, sexual health and disease screening, everything in the privacy of your own home. You know from listening that I've been a huge fan of going to the blood draw labs and tracking my numbers, especially my testosterone and my other adaptive hormones. Been doing it frequently, and that helps me really track the training and lifestyle patterns that optimize health and speed recovery, and also the stupid stuff that I do over stress, over training patterns that trash my hormone levels, and then I can take corrective action. I love doing it, it's really popular, but it's a little bit of a hassle to go to the labs, make the appointment, wait around. So now you just go to trylgc.com slash Brad, get a 20% discount on all their tests and everything happens at home. It's fantastic. And check this out. The results are reviewed by their physicians. And if anything concerns you, you can schedule a phone consultation with a nurse and have 24-7 access to their staff through your treatment and your resolution. Oh, these guys are revolutionizing modern medicine and self-quantification. You're going to love it. It's so simple. The website presentation is really great. So try lgc.com slash Brad. Automatic 20% discount. Or you can use the code Brad if you're on their website. Otherwise, let's get checked, everybody. 
Hey, listeners, enjoy this show with my main man, Dr. Phil Maffetone, a longtime mentor of mine, especially back in my days as a triathlete. He's known as the godfather of fat-adapted endurance training, the MAF heart rate maximum aerobic function was named after him, and we have a wonderful conversation on a topic of great interest to many people, specifically 91% of the global population, which is classified as what Dr. Phil calls over fat. And this is defined, he defines it as having excess body fat that impairs health and fitness. That's right, 91% of the global population, 70% of youth are in this category. And that includes a huge percentage, I think Phil said 40% of people that have normal body weight that look fine, but have this dysfunctional fat that does not interact properly with the immune system or the metabolic system. The immune system being of particular concern when we realize the risk of COVID-19 is dramatically increased when you have dysfunctional metabolism such as obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes. So you're going to learn it all from Phil. And of course, whenever you talk to him, we get into all kinds of peripheral topics giving you the great big picture insights, including interestingly talking about the role of high intensity training and how even with the the hard stuff, you can get better at burning fat during high intensity workouts, preserving glycogen, not draining that glycogen tank like we've been taught is the essence of uh, hard training for years and years. Uh, but this is the, the, the life of the fat adapted athlete and the fat adapted human. This is a great show to share with family and friends, so please get the link, spread the word, tell people to listen to this guy. He's been talking in a progressive manner with Breakthrough Health Insights for over 40 years, and he's finally getting his due as one of the prominent leaders in the in the scene, uh, looking at this overfat pandemic, listening to his advice of basically cutting junk food. You start there. You're smooth sailing. I mean, that's the big one. And then he uh, goes into detail defining what junk food is these days. So enjoy Dr. Phil Maffetone. Dr. Phil Maffetone, so great to catch up with you. Brad, great to be with you again. Um, I hope everything is good and uh, looking forward to a, a, a nice chat. Uh, yes, we got a little caught up off offline on uh, matters of important life uh, quests and journeys, and I know you've been traveling around and uh, exploring different parts of the country, And um, but nevertheless, doing your thing, and it's so great to see the, the math method become popular. People are talking about it. I get a huge amount of questions from people, and a lot of them are relating to uh, how to integrate these other types of training thinking that math is just about going slow and they're they're buying in but i don't think they're seeing the big picture so i think i yeah, should that, start with that, that question that is the 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 big myth um and it's interesting that different uh different kinds of people different people who have different backgrounds say in running think of me one way and then the the food people think of me as the low carb guy and then the you know and there's all these groups that think of me differently and even different sports you know people i mean used it used to be that people in motorsports thought of me as the 
the motorsports dock. And um, so it's interesting, you know, um, the, the bottom line is MAF is a, um, it, it's an open system that can incorporate anything healthy and everything healthy. And um, it is holistic. So it's really about doing everything healthy, not just uh, running slow. Um, and, and I do recommend people do HIIT. Um, it's not just about low carb. It's not just about anything. It's about figuring out what works for you, personalizing your health and fitness. That's, that's the most important aspect of it. Well, speaking of that and the, the dietary patterns, this is also a, an area of great confusion to people is the role of, I guess you'd say, healthy carbohydrates in the diet and the amount of personal variation that might be relevant. We can all agree that we should be ditching the, the sodas, the sugars, uh, the refined grains. But beyond that, people are trying to uh, embrace this keto movement that's been so popular, but also uh, train for uh, ambitious athletic goals. And we have to throw all this stuff in the mix and, and you know, sort through the dogma. So maybe we can cover that part too. Well, it's really simple. Um, the bottom line is to avoid junk food. The problem that many people have is that they don't know what junk food is, or they refuse to accept that certain things are really classified as junk food. Uh, and the biggest culprit, and people know that sugar is bad, so they don't put sugar in their coffee anymore, or they don't eat chocolate cake after their keto meal. Um, but they eat uh, uh, chocolate cake that's made with artificial sweetener. Um, uh, and they and they don't understand that virtually all uh, carbohydrates that are out there today are processed. And unless you buy wheat berries and grind them yourself and make something out of it, um, many people have never consumed real, uh, real unprocessed wheat. Um, and so. Uh, when you go to the store and something says natural, you know, this bread says natural, then people think that's, you know, that's not junk food. That's, um, that's healthy. And this is, this is the work of our good friends, the, uh, the marketing folks who have taught us that all this junk food, if it's sold in a health food store, if, if it says natural on it, if it says no artificial ingredients, if it even says whole wheat, it's really junk food. And so we need to get that um, uh, on that level so that because those foods, uh, we can get rid of the sugar and, and the, the, the things that obviously have sugar in it. But if we don't get rid of the things, the foods that are processed that turn to sugar virtually right after we eat it, then we're, we're just, we're just not going to be as healthy as we could be. So turning to sugar is happening because of the, the processed nature, the acellular nature of the carb. Can you explain uh, how that works? Yeah, it's just highly processed. So we, we start with a, a wheat berry 
um, which is a little tiny, you know, it's it's a it's a little tiny, um, um, like a miniature pea, except it's it's you know dark brown or brownish in color, um, and and when it's fresh, it's soft, and but in the industry, those wheat berries are processed, so the um, the fiber is removed. Um, basically, this, everything is removed except the starch. And um, not only that, but but over the last you know ten generations or more, uh, the agricultural scientists have genetically changed this wheat, so it produces a lot more starch. It's a lot more uh, carbohydrate. And it makes it easier to process it. So what we end up with is this um, this white powder, which um, <laughs> uh, you know it may be different shades of white. It may it may look um, a little darker. Um, they bleach the flour, and that makes it look white. And then sometimes they will add caramel coloring or some other coloring that makes it look brownish, and so it looks natural. And um, just like they do with sugar, you know, they first bleach it and it's now this white granular substance. And and somebody got the idea that, hey, let's let's make some of it brown and call it natural sugar. Same stuff, uh, different color and, you know, for twice the price. Um, and like I said, just because uh, it's sold in the health food store, just because it's organic, just because it says natural doesn't mean it's healthy. And um, so all those things really go in that category of junk food. So then if we're left with the natural looking foods that come out of the ground off a tree and we're emphasizing the vegetables, fruit, tubers, uh, and, and going from there, uh, I guess we can uh, strategize based on our our, our um, individual characteristics and uh, fitness routine. Uh, what level that intake might sustain in the diet? Exactly. We 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 want to we want to we're all individuals, and so we need to personalize that. That's what that's what I've been teaching my whole career. Is is I'm not going to give you a diet. I'm not going to tell you. Uh, what to eat that's natural. I'll tell you what not to eat, all that junk food. But you have to figure out what works for you. And um, not only that, but as we age, that changes. We we may be doing something different today than we did uh, 10 years ago because our body has changed, our needs have changed, and we've kept, hopefully, have kept up with those changes. So we, we keep modifying our our food intake, uh, not just uh, the the quantity, but the quality, and um, and that's very important. And I have I have tools that people can use, like the two week test and the two week keto test. If um, uh, if they're if they're over fat, for example, they know uh, they need to reduce their carbohydrate intake significantly um, and eat eat higher amounts of healthy fats. And make sure they maintain a, a moderate amount of, of protein. You know, those are, I mean, there's certain basic needs that we as humans have. Um, 
eating um, high quality, healthy fat, eating high quality, healthy protein. And then really uh, the, the difficult part for, for most people is, well, how much carbohydrate do we eat? And that's a, that's why it's a good starting point. Cause once you've got that, everything else falls into place and it's relatively simple. Well, I guess we just hit a fork in the road, Phil, because uh, your research suggests that this massive percentage of the population is over fat. I believe you coined that term and you can describe the the definition there. And if that's the case, then it sounds like uh, we have mostly an obligation to try to uh, minimize carb intake, minimize insulin production so we can burn more body fat. Exactly. And um, uh, just for the record, I didn't coin over fat. I defined it over fat and under fat. Um, over fat, it, I started using when I first got into practice. I, I saw it in a journal article sort of in passing. They mentioned um, people who had excess body fat and they said, you know, it's like being over fat or something like that. And I thought, boy, that's a great word uh, because not all Overfat people are obese, which was the popular term, and not all overfat people are overweight. In fact, uh, a recent study that um, that I I wrote up with uh, my friend Paul Larson uh, called Re "Revisiting the Overfat Pandemic," something like that. Um, uh, I, I took some of the newer research and showed that. Uh, over 40% of non-obese, normal weight people uh, were still over fat. That's a lot of over fat people that are previously classified as normal and healthy. And, and that's obviously not the case because the definition of over fat is excess body fat that impairs health and fitness. And the reason that impairs health and fitness is because when we have too much body fat, it doesn't act like healthy body fat. Healthy body fat is a metabolically active tissue that helps our immune system. It helps our metabolism. It's a, an energy depot. It, it, it does so many good things. But as soon as we have excess body fat, those fat cells become what they call sick. They're actually called sick fat cells because they're not functioning well. They're actually doing the same as people who are malnourished and under fat. And uh, Paul and I actually wrote a, a, a paper on COVID-19 um, showing that people who are most at risk for, for um, infection are people who are over fat. And we, we showed how the immune system changes when you're over fat and it can't um, combat um, uh, infection. So we, we, we raise our risk for infectious disease. So now with over fat, it increases the risk for chronic disease. So heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, diabetes, etc. Uh, it increases the risk for physical disabilities, everything from athletic injuries to um, systemic problems like um, like arthritis um, and the pain-related problems, so pain in general. 
and it increases the risk for infectious diseases. And uh, no doubt about it, we will have another pandemic down the road. And uh, what I was saying in that article is to the reader is, are, are you going to be ready for it? Right. Dr. Ron Sinha wants his patients to train for the uh, COVID-19 and think of it in those terms where you're going out there and doing workouts so that you can build resilience and not get overwhelmed by the viral load if you do happen to get yeah. exposed. Exactly. Um, we, you know, in the in that particular um, journal paper, I, I, I said that we we have survived as a species because we have this wonderful immune system. So it's not like we're walking down the road and some virus attacks us from behind the tree. Um, it doesn't work that way. We're exposed to viruses and bacteria and microbes all the time. And we don't get sick and we don't die because we have an immune system that protects us. And that's how the human body has um, developed for, for millions of years. And, and today, it's pretty clear that if you're not healthy and fit, you don't have a good immune system, so you're more vulnerable, and that's exactly what the data shows and has shown for a long time. And so um, it, it all comes back to the same thing. We need to be as healthy and as fit as possible, regardless of what we're doing. If we're, if we're training for a marathon or an Ironman or if we're training to break the spirit speed golf record, if we're um, just happy to go out and work out every day and be on a trail and have, you know, peace and joy uh, and, and want to prevent all those common diseases that, that people are getting beginning at an early age, earlier and earlier, in fact, um, it, it's all the same deal. It's all the same good health, optimal health and, and better and better fitness that we, we want to strive for. So this overfat, you called it sick fat? Is that what you said, or thick fat? It's, I think they call it sick cell, <laughs> uh, sick uh, adipose fat. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a number of names that, you know, they come up. People like coming up with names. Um, the, sick, the sick adipose tissue I don't think really ever caught on, but I always remembered it. It's kind of a cruel little thing. But it's the fact that your fat cells, which are supposed to be healthy, vibrant, metabolically active uh, cells, which communicate with our hormones, with our brain, with our muscles, etc. those cells suddenly don't function very well. They become, literally, they, be, they become sick. And it affects our immune system because a, a lot of immune cells hang out in, in our fat cells. And so when the fat cells go downhill, so does our immunity. I'm so excited to introduce you to Paluva. This is a new zero-drop minimalist shoe with the distinctive five-toe design from my main man, Mark Sisson. Paluvas give you the most authentic barefoot-style experience, but with sufficient cushioning so you can use them for all manner of daily movement, especially walking and many other fitness and athletic activities. Paluvas are also incredibly stylish, so you get a barefoot shoe that you're not embarrassed to wear around in daily life. 
It's been so cool to see the popularity of minimalist shoes grow over the recent years, but Paluvas are a step ahead of every other zero-drop wide-box shoe because of the critical feature of individual five-toe articulation, a separate slot for each of your toes. This allows for correct dynamic movement of the foot through the walking or running stride, which is impossible when your toes are encased into a single box, even a wide box. Well, you might know that minimalist shoes have faced controversy in recent years for causing injuries from inappropriate use. So here is the big picture mission. We want to get you walking in paluvas, living in your paluvas, going barefoot in your home or other safe areas as often as possible. Go ahead and use your specialized cushiony running shoes or your basketball shoes, work boots, high heels, things that you want to wear when you want to wear them, but wear your Paluvas as much as possible to reawaken the natural functionality of the human foot to stand, walk, run, and perform. Do you want to try a pair? I'm certain that when you put them on and walk around, you are going to quickly realize that these are the most comfortable, natural shoes that you've ever worn. They're designed to feel like you're, quote, walking barefoot on a putting green. Please visit paluva.com, that's P-E-L-U-V-A, and use the code BRADPODCAST and get 10% off your first pair. Paluvas, let your feet be feet. Would this characterize fact, the visceral fat, let, the, the belly me, fat? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a big part of it. But let me, let me go back uh, and just say one interesting thing is that um, that – uh, overfat condition with with the sick adipose tissue, um, it not only impairs our immunity, but it impairs our resistance to the point where even artificial immunity, even vaccines, are not uh, as active uh, if we are overfat. So there's all this talk about coming up with a with a, um, a vaccine for COVID-19, that's a, a pipe dream. Um, and, and, and even if they do, who are they going to give it to? Okay. In the U S 91% of adults are over fat and about 70% of children. So we give them the vaccine. Well, if it doesn't work, what's the sense? So, you know, we're, we're, we're back to the, the bottom line here, which is that we are responsible for our health. Even the genetic stuff that we have, our lifestyle influences a lot of our genes. And, and so, we, you know, we control that. And the game, again, is that we need to find out what's best for us. What's the best way to eat? What's the best... Um, you know, carb, natural carbohydrate level, natural fat level, natural food volume. Uh, uh, and and when, we, when we do that, we get closer and closer to optimal health and fitness. And, um, and like I said at the beginning of the show, we, we, as we age, we might find we have to tweak things more. And, you know... For me, for example, from the time I first realized all this, you know, when I was in my 
early 20s after spending my life on junk food from the moment I was born. Um, I had, you know, I ate a certain amount of natural carbohydrates. I would buy, I would buy um, those wheat berries and, and cook them down and make a porridge or I'd buy, you know, rye, whole rye or whole, whole uh, oats, which, you know, took 45 minutes to cook. Um, and, and gradually I realized, oh, I'm, I'm eating too much of this because my signs and symptoms started telling me that, hey, you, you, you shouldn't be sleepy after, after breakfast. Mm. That probably means you had too much carbohydrate. So I gradually reduced it. And, and literally over the years, I just kept gradually reducing it to less and less. And I, I eat very little today because uh, it, it doesn't work for me. That's just, that's just the way it is. Whether I have um, this uh, prevalence or this, this uh, relationship with diabetes, which you know, I was diagnosed with early in life, and I said, oh, wait a minute, I'm not going there. I'm not going to shoot up insulin. That doesn't make sense. I'm just going to change my diet, which I did, and, and it solved the problem. And whether I'm predisposed to it or not, um, this is what I've had to do, and this is what became really the foundation of MAF, maximum aerobic function, is how can we establish optimal health and fitness well one of the things we can do is burn a lot of fat this is what humans did from the beginning this is how humans actually developed bigger brains and bigger bodies and longevity and protection against disease uh and all of this stuff which they never had before and and so the name of the game uh for me was to help people burn more body fat and as that happens, they all, all these problems they have start going away, and all these goals they have from a from a fitness standpoint, for example, um, start getting realized. They can run faster at the same heart rate, for example. They can basically do more with the same effort, which is uh, what human performance is all about. Yeah, it seems like that could be the uh you know the the compelling overarching goal of being healthy is just to burn more fat burn fat better especially when these numbers are staggering that you know almost almost all of us listening uh might be classified as over fat uh, even if uh the 40% that that look just fine and seem to be performing pretty well uh but again we're comparing to uh, you know pretty disastrous normal so uh we can probably all have an ambition to get better yeah, that's true. And and before I interrupted you, you had asked about visceral fat, abdominal fat, and there's something called abdominal overfat, which I, I termed. And they used to call it abdominal obesity, but these people were not obese, so you can't call it obesity. It's abdominal overfat. And it's really simple to figure out if you're overfat, and it's that you measure your waist at your umbilicus your belly button and you measure your height and your waist should be less than half your height simple as that and if it's not you're over fat and it's scientific 
Uh, it's, it's obviously easy to do, and you can throw your scale out because the scale weight doesn't relate to fat, to body fat. It relates to, um, to weight, which is mostly water, uh, and, and, of course, muscle mass, which is mostly water. Um, abdominal fat is particularly harmful because it tends to promote uh, chronic inflammation much more than all the other body fat when there's excess amounts. And abdominal fat also reflects cardiac, pericardial fat. So when we see too much abdominal fat, we know there's too much fat around the heart, which is dangerous because this fat is producing inflammatory chemicals. And uh, the, the, the next step in heart disease after being over fat is chronic inflammation. And so having, having an abdomen that's, that's bigger than it should be um, is dangerous, not just for the whole body, but the heart in particular and the blood vessels. Uh, is this standard for both males and females to strive for? Because it seems like female uh, naturally carrying more body fat but I guess all these are factored in with their... Uh... They're all factored in. And, you know, through the years, um, and I've, I've, I've been measuring people uh, from the beginning. Um, we can't all go to have a DEXA scan every month or two. It's not practical. It's not safe. Um, and it's not affordable. And so, uh, you know, how can we determine... Someone, this this all, you know, came out of my desire to figure out um, my own needs and help people figure out their needs. Okay, here are some simple tests you could do, and if if you do that test and you're less than your abdominal area is less than half your height, then it rules out over fat, and if you're not, it rules in over fat. But through the years, we had waist to hip ratio, we had other measurements um, that have been uh, determined to not be scientifically valid over the long term. Uh, part of it be is because uh, it varied among different ethnicities. It varied with age and adolescence and sometimes male-female, blah, blah, blah. Well, for the last decade or, or so, I think the waist-to-height ratio has become um, uh, I think there's, there's a consensus that it's a very accurate, is it perfect? No, neither is DEXA, but it's a very accurate, uh, regular, uh, uh, basically no cost item that clinicians can use and, and do. Um, there's a lot of studies that use waist to height ratio and the individual person who's the one in charge can use that every month or two to to monitor their uh, loss of body fat, to monitor uh, and make sure they're not gaining body fat as the as the years go by. And it's just a very um, it's a very accurate and very good assessment. So it's good for anyone of any age. Uh, I say that you have to be standing to use it. So if you're you know, if you're a six-month-old, it's not going to work. 
<laughs> you know, when you get to be two years old, um, any any uh, any gender, ethnicity, age, uh, it, it's uh, it's a very effective tool. Pretty handy. Uh, so yes. I'm, I'm thinking of uh, many well-meaning enthusiasts that I engage with here from that are making a devoted effort to get that belly fat off, for example, and it turns out to be uh, pretty difficult. And I want to pair together another comment you made that uh, I guess as we age, we become uh, more insulin resistant and possibly uh, warranting a gradual reduction of carbs uh, over the years, which is uh, the same thing that happens with the accumulation of body fat. That's exactly true. We do become more insulin resistant, um, and therefore we have to adapt to that problem. Insulin resistance is a serious problem. It's carbohydrate intolerance. Uh, that's what I call it because it's a better name because it refers to carbohydrates. When you start talking about insulin, the average person uh, starts falling asleep. So you want to refer. No to pun intended there. Yeah, they can they can relate to carbohydrates. They may not quite know um, the the full extent of what carbohydrates are and which ones are healthy and not. But but it it gets them in the ballpark. So yeah, as we age, we have to reduce our carbohydrates. Otherwise, um, we we develop um, increased fat on our abdomen, and that's that's uh, a big problem. And it, it's interesting that the two things that people complain about uh, with with when they're when they're following math, one is that abdominal fat. They just can't get those last couple of inches or there's those last few inches or any of the, the abdominal fat. Everything else is gone, but they've got this abdominal fat lingering on and they don't understand. And as it's also related to the abdominal fat, they can't get faster at their MAF heart rate. They don't understand it. They're very strict and they're, you know, they, they promise that they're being honest with the 180 formula and, uh, Maffetone doesn't know what he's talking about. This doesn't work for me. Well, that works for everybody. The problem is that when you don't get faster at your MAF, MAF heart rate and you're kind of stuck in this slow motion mode and or if you've got excess body fat, it's really the same problem. And it's that people aren't addressing that carbohydrate intake issue. They're either eating junk food that they think is natural or they're um, uh, or there's there's hidden carbohydrates in in what they're eating, especially in people who 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 work, they commute to work, they may be traveling a lot and they have to eat out often. Um, mm. uh, I can I can tell you, especially coming from. The restaurant industry. I, I can tell you that uh, sugar in a restaurant is one of the most common spices. They put sugar in everything, <laughs> uh, and flour. You know, you go in, you say, "Look, I want some. Uh, I want some sliced eggplant uh, sautéed in butter." Um, they say, "Oh yeah, we we could do that." I said, "That 
but there's no there's no there's no weed on it. You don't put flour on it. Oh no no. Uh, and then with some tomato sauce, you don't put sugar in the tomato sauce. Oh no no no. And you ask them and you question them how it's made, and you find out, yeah, well they they just dust the the food with flour, and they just they put a, you have to put a little sugar in the tomato sauce because. That's what my grandmother did. It, it, it tastes better. Yeah, we we are a junk food society, and our tastes are for sweetness. And if there is no sweetness in a tomato, we don't like it. And so, just you know, just read the the ingredient lists on on those um, uh, tomato sauces in the in the grocery store, for example, um, or anything, anything. anything. Any packaged food that that you think is okay, you buy it from the health food store. It says natural, and um, and you read, you know, try and buy bacon, natural bacon, organic bacon that doesn't have sugar. Um, it's not easy. It's it's that everyone uses sugar because that's what people expect, their tastes at least. And if you don't have sugar in it, people are not going to like it, and it's not going to be a successful product. Yeah, I was talking to Todd White of Dry Farm Wines, or he sells these uh, sugar-free, chemical-free wines, and he was explaining that mainstream wine production uses these harsh chemicals to arrest the natural fermentation process that would ferment all the sugar out of the drink, but they want to keep it in there because people's palates are expecting it and the wine ratings and the bold taste and the the, the score on the 0 to 100 scale is all predicated that we have to throw some sugar back in there through harsh yeah. means where the product, if you just let it do its thing, would be sugar-free. Yeah, and, and what happens with sugar addiction, which is what we're talking about, mm. um, is that it changes our taste buds not permanent but it changes our taste buds and we now with sweet taste buds flying high all the time we now cannot eat things like vegetables vegetables are too bitter so it's not just that kids aren't eating their vegetables adults aren't either because these vegetables are too bitter and in restaurants this is another place where they throw some sugar because now they they um, make the vegetables sweeter. But um, because our taste buds have changed, we, we you know, as a society, um, can't handle uh, bitter things. Coffee's bitter, so we've got to put sugar in it and tea and vegetables and so on and so forth. And what happens when we get off the sugar and when we overcome the addiction, which can take time, I mean, we can get off the sugar overnight, but that addiction to sugar and those sweet taste buds, they linger on. It takes a while before you could walk past a bakery and not keep looking and breathing in deeply because you you think of all that wonderful stuff that you think is wonderful. Um, but eventually that disappears. But what 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 also happens is we lose that taste bud uh, effect that sweet taste goes away and then and only then can we drink a a great uh espresso and taste the real flavors that are that are there only then can we 
consume a dry red wine and taste the bouquet that is just amazing. And only then can we eat a piece of raw cacao. That's the chocolate before they put the sugar in it, which is very bitter. But it's so delicious. And it's it's, it's sometimes a test when people say, oh, yeah, I, I – uh, I don't. I don't eat sweets anymore. I don't. I don't have a desire to eat sweets. I'll, I'll give them a, um, a little piece of raw cacao, and you know, half the time they spit it out, because because <laughs> they can't handle it. I said, well, you're, you've got a ways to go still. That's the final test. Yes. Order up a hundred percent, hundred percent cacao bar and and see how you do. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on it, Phil. I'm, I'm, I'm like in the the 85 range is is my favorite, and um, it certainly is a big difference. But uh, it's interesting to convey it that way. And I also might uh, observe that another contributing factor to this sugar addiction, uh, besides the the secret uh, ingredients from the restaurant, uh, is this uh, fitness regimen. That's slightly too stressful, which has been your life's work for many decades, telling people to slow down. But I don't think people are making the connection properly that these high carbohydrate burning workouts, a pattern of them, is going to push you back in the direction of reaching for uh, the foods that are contributing to that visceral fat. Exactly. There's, there's, you know, in 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 improving our ability to burn fat maximum aerobic function, burn as much fat as we can. There's a, a, a food factor, which is what we've been talking about. And there's an exercise factor, which is where the intensity uh, becomes very important because as our intensity gets too high above that sub-max level, we shift away from fat burning towards sugar burning. Although if our diet's no good, we're not burning much fat anyway, no matter how slow we work out. Oh. Um, and then there's the stress factor. There's the, um, you know, apart from food and exercise, there are other physical, biochemical, and then all those mental, emotional stressors that affect us. And if we don't adapt to stress well, these these stressors affect our metabolism in part by shifting our ability to burn fat toward burning too much sugar. So we become less of a fat burner as stress goes up. That's that's the effect of cortisol in particular. And so that's a that's a very important factor as well. Uh, so this is a big insight because we're not talking about uh, being in the kitchen or the gym right now. But if we're running hot, if we're hot wired and uh, running around on fumes and, and highly stressed, and producing a lot of cortisol, uh, what's happening downstream to uh, make this fat promoting or uh, and so forth? Uh, in short, we're storing more fat because we're not burning it. We we don't, you know, we we have we're hardwired to store fat because that's how humans have um, developed metabolically. Uh, we store fat so that when we are ready to burn it, there's plenty there to burn. Um, so with all that stress, we just keep storing more fat and just go to any marathon or triathlon and you'll see, uh, the majority of athletes, uh, are over fat. Maybe not the, maybe not the pros, although there are, are exceptions there as well. 
Um, but but certainly in the amateur right, the age groupers are are you know the 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 numbers of overfat are extremely high, not as high as the general population, of course, but um, still too high. And so um, by inducing that stress and having that cortisol effect, we are storing more fat, burning less, which also coincidentally makes us crave sugar. So we maintain our sugar addiction and, and we rationalize that, oh, I just you know, I did just did this hard workout, or I just did this long workout, and um, I, I need carbs to replace my glycogen stores. Well, why did you burn up those glycogen stores to begin with? And the answer is you didn't burn enough fat. That's one of the things that fat does, not only with competition, not only with a hit workout, but with training from day to day. Is we burn a lot of fat and we conserve our glycogen. Hey ladies, you may have heard me talk about Gaines Wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function, and maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gaines Wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gaines Wave for Her. As with the male Gaines Wave treatment, a skilled practitioner uses a handheld device to send low-intensity shock waves into your vaginal area to stimulate a healing response, promote increased blood circulation, and the growth of new blood vessels. After a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results with Gaines Wave reporting an 80% success rate. Some benefits. You will revitalize your intimate relationships with heightened sensation and arousal and enhance pleasure and satisfaction. Don't contemplate invasive procedures or uncomfortable medical treatments. Regain confidence and reclaim your sexuality with Gaines Wave for her. You visit the website gainswave.com, G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area. You complete a series of treatments and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment. So please visit gainswave.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area and take advantage of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. Wow. I mean, this is now we're departing from uh, the dogma of decades that you want to go burn off that glycogen during a workout and then replenish really quickly so you can restock the glycogen stores for the next workout. Uh, but now this new paradigm is becoming apparent where. Uh, I don't know if you saw that guy in Utah that ran 100 miles uh, without consuming any calories, and these outliers are showing what's possible. But I think for all of us to rethink this idea that uh, the 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 spinning class at the gym with the music and the high intensity is paired directly with heading over to Jamba Juice to get a fruit smoothie afterward, which has a lot of sugar in it. No, no question about it. But the problem is that it's not a new concept. It's not. Um, it, it, it's a it's an old concept. This is how humans were for millions of years, and suddenly, um, depending on you know how you want to relate to it, is it is it the agricultural revolution 
when we started processing uh, carbohydrates? Is it the, the 1950s and 60s when the sugar companies started you know, banging it into our heads that sugar was important because humans are glucose-based animals, and then the running boom hit and all the sugar stuff uh, you know, grabbed onto that, and uh, Coke and Pepsi spending billions of dollars to convince us that um, it's the real thing and it's natural, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a blip in human history that has created a situation where uh, over 90% of the people in the entire world are over fat. And it's, it's a serious thing because over fat is just not an unsightly thing. Um, we've talked about how important fat burning is. And if you're storing fat, you're not burning it. So it means that you're not burning fat, but it's worse because that overfat condition, like I mentioned earlier, is that first stage of chronic disease because it produces inflammation, which is the next stage of chronic disease and worsens insulin resistance and carbohydrate intolerance. And it, um, it promotes all those risk factors that we hear about, um, high cholesterol, high triglycerides, uh, pre-diabetes, pre-hypertension, um, and, and next thing you know, there's now a diagnosis of diabetes. There is a diagnosis of hypertension, uh, a, a cancer uh, diagnosis, heart disease, stroke, um, Alzheimer's. All the chronic, most of the chronic diseases are these downstream effects from over fat. And most of those uh, chronic diseases are preventable and you you prevent it by reducing body fat. There's no, there's no question about any of this. And, and when, we, when we start looking at the big picture, we realize that the trillions of dollars, tens of trillions of dollars spent every year, uh, for the most part, go to these preventable conditions that we can do away with almost overnight. I mean, we can do away with the process uh, very quickly. Um, but when we look at populations of patients, for example, in, in clinics who do this kind of stuff, which I had, um, we can see that in a, in the, in the course of a year, you can, you can completely change a person's health and fitness. And, and if they're on 10 medications, now they're not on any medications they, they were over fat. Now they're normal fat. Um, now they're physically active when they were couch potatoes, you, you know, and so the, the money they're spending on healthcare, you know, is, is dramatically less. And, um, you know, this is, this is a political buzzword, you know, we're going to fix healthcare. What heck, we're not going to fix healthcare. We're going to spend more money. That's the problem. Uh, unhealthy people is, is a lucrative business. You know, just look at the wall street stocks. Those stocks are booming. They've been booming. Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of well-meaning, well-intentioned people, uh, including the candidates who want to uh, reform health care and all that. But it does seem like that um, we're we're attacking the problem from the wrong direction, and you know, we're treating the, symptoms. Right. That's exactly what's happening, and we're never we're we're never looking at the cause. 
because there's too many lobbyists that don't want the cause to be uh, developed. Sure, we've got some, you know, we don't, we don't have sugar in schools, we think. That's not true. Um, we're trying to take sugar out of hospitals, but uh, companies have long-term contracts like Coke and Pepsi, so that's not easy to do. We're trying to, you know, reduce um, uh, unhealthy foods, and, you know, we're going to cut down on the size of the containers for soda. Well, that's just gimmicky hogwash. That you know, So we, we cut our soda in half, and uh, the kid now has two of them instead of one big one. Um, <laughs> you know, even if it was kept at half, uh, you know, there's a threshold of sugar and that insulin mechanism. It doesn't take much to create the overfat condition. And if we cut our, uh, our refined carbohydrates in half, or if we cut them by two thirds, in many people, it may not make a difference because we're not at that threshold yet where it, it, it affects our metabolism. Um, sometimes it does, uh, it depends on the person. And, um, and then that's sort of what, what people go through when they, when they uh, go through this process of personalizing uh, the foods they eat. They, they find a level of uh, natural carbohydrate intake, for example, that makes them feel really good. And then the fat and the carbohydrates, or the fat and the proteins, kind of fall into place easier. But that that's a that's a um, an interesting thing to see people go through and how much variety from person to person there is. And then over the years, how much um, people change as the the years go by. Uh, so I guess that kind of uh, describes what your two week test is doing. And for listeners not familiar with it, maybe you can describe uh, what it's all about and then where you head from uh, getting, getting the results after two weeks. Yeah. The two week test I developed uh, early in my career as a way to really as a way to confirm uh, this problem called carbohydrate intolerance. Um, back then, you couldn't do a blood test. You had to go into the hospital to do a special test, and that, of course, was not a practical thing. So I had a list of survey questions about how people felt after their meals, how people felt if their um, meals were delayed, uh, you know, um, do they get sleepy after meals? Do they, you know, and then, then I realized that I could give them a diagnosis that they're carbohydrate intolerant and tell them to cut down on carbohydrates. But I wanted them to, to be part of the process. I wanted them to experience what it was like to be at a level of carbohydrate intake that was compatible with a healthy metabolism. And so I developed a two-week test where you, uh, you eliminate junk food and then you cut your uh, other carbohydrates way down. So you're eating plenty of food, but you're uh, plenty of vegetables, um, but no fruits, no um, no grains, no ref even the natural ones, um, uh, for a period of two weeks. And you, you monitor your signs and symptoms, and at the end of two weeks, you look back at your signs and symptoms and say, oh, gee, I'm, 
I'm not sleepy after meals. My energy's better. I'm sleeping better. I'm waking up feeling good, um, not depressed, whatever. Um, and now you, you say, okay, what do I do now? Well, what you do now is if you want, you start adding some natural carbohydrates every other meal. So maybe you have a small piece of fruit for lunch uh, after you've had your normal low-carb breakfast. And, and if that piece of fruit makes you sleepy after the meal, then you know that that little piece of fruit is too much carbohydrate for you. And people go through this, and what it does is it, it just brings out their instincts and their, their intuitions. You know, animals know how to eat in the wild, uh, but humans have forgotten that. So it, it, it brings people back to that. And so you should be able to, to be sitting, having dinner, and, and get to that next forkful, and before you put it in your mouth, you say, oh, I'm, I'm finished. I feel finished, and you can put it down, and you're done. That's the end of your meal. People can't do that now. Animals do that. They don't, you know. I'm not talking about pets who are eating junk food um, every day, but animals in the wild will will not just um, keep eating until they explode. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're 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 distracted because we're watching TV while we're having too many bites of popcorn or whatever yes. it is. Yes. So I've had people come back with massive weight loss in the two weeks where they did the carbohydrate restriction test. And you said earlier in the show, like a lot of the weight of the body is uh, water, the muscles are full of water, the glycogen stores. So what kind of fluctuation do we experience from day to day? And then when people are coming back and saying, I lost 10 pounds, that doesn't really represent 10 pounds of body fat because that's impossible in a short time. But what are these numbers uh, revealing uh, in terms of what's changing in the physiology? Yeah, it, it, it does represent in the two-week period, it does represent a lot of water, but it also um, represents some fat loss as um uh, one study showed that I, I've referenced uh, from years ago, actually. Um, but it's not the purpose of the two-week test to, to see a weight loss. The purpose is for you to figure out how much carbohydrate you should be eating. And then, and, and the fat loss kind of is, is, um, a little bit of a delayed effect. Um, but as the weeks go by after that, you see the waist get smaller and smaller and that is fat related um and um and all the signs and symptoms the abnormal signs and symptoms like sleepiness after meals or being you know feelings of depression um uh hunger um very common uh carbohydrate intolerance uh, symptom uh, that you know, all that disappears as we start burning more fat, and not only that, but we start burning more fat when we exercise. Not just when we exercise slow, but even when we're doing a hit workout, we could burn more fat. And especially when we're competing, we can burn more fat during competition. And I can pretty much guarantee you that in competition, in an endurance event, those who finish up front. Are burning a lot more fat relative to their glucose than 
everyone behind them. So there's a very important performance uh, factor there. Plus, it, you know, it's human performance, like I mentioned earlier. It's all about human performance, and a lot of that has to do with brain function. And so with the two-week test, one of the things that people routinely say is that my brain is working better. It's not just that I'm feeling less depressed. I'm My, my creativity is better. I'm able to think better, work better. Um, I can rationalize things. I can have conversations better. My memories improve, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, it's an amazing thing, and it's part of the process of personalization. I guess the brain is getting a more steady source of fuel because you're not so dependent on glucose in the muscle tissue, and perhaps you're making ketones. Exactly. Your your body, um, you know, when you're not burning much fat, your body grabs a lot of that glucose, and there's there's sometimes less for the brain. Um, and when you start burning more fat, you end up having a lot more uh, ketones around, which the brain can also use instead of or in along with uh, uh, glucose, and and. And likewise for the, the muscles, you're using a lot of, not just our our skeletal muscles, but the heart uses ketones, a lot of ketones uh, in other tissues. And so um, this has become not just a way to to feel better and, and perform better, but as a therapy for diseases. You know, ke- uh, uh, ketogenic eating is an old... Uh, remedy for um, seizure disorders. Um, the, the research, you know, the, the research is really moving along well, and you're seeing uh, cancer therapies, you're seeing um, uh, uh, diabetics responding to being in ketosis, being able to get off medication. Um, uh, w- what's interesting in hypertension is that if we look at if we plot out the amount of insulin someone has over the years and we plot out their increasing blood pressure numbers they parallel each other insulin goes up so does blood pressure well if we get insulin coming down the blood pressure comes down interesting and one of the things that i recommend that people do if they're blood pressure is high when they do the two-week test to keep monitoring the blood pressure because if they're on medication for hypertension and they do the two-week test and now the blood pressure comes down to normal, which it often does, um, now they're on medication and their blood pressure is normal, which means they are hypotensive and that can be dangerous. So I tell them to work with their doctor or find someone who can monitor accurately monitor their blood pressure um because that could happen and and, uh as a result their doctor needs to adjust the medication or get rid of it uh likewise in 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 women who are of childbearing age and i learned this by mistake in the beginning um i realized that uh the two-week test was making women more fertile. 
<laughs> and I noticed it um, first in a woman who was 40 years old or 39. And, you know, one of the things she complained about is that, you know, her and her husband uh, had tried to to conceive and they were unable to. And so they, they you know, they've given up and blah, blah. So uh, she does a two-week test. She's lost a bunch of weight. Her back is better, which is one of her main complaints. And suddenly she's pregnant. And I didn't think too much of it, but suddenly it happened to somebody else. And it was interesting that these people started sending me patients who were infertile. And it became... It became Dr. My, Phil's Fertility Clinic, come my, on out. My go-to fertility treatment. It was a little funny, but I mean, they were happy. Um, so the 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 reduction of carbohydrates and the reduction of insulin triggers a significant balance of all the hormones. It's not just the sex hormones. It's not just insulin. It's all the hormones, including testosterone. So um, it's amazing what what's amazing is how much damage eating too much carbohydrate can do. And in particular, it's amazing how much damage eating a small amount of junk food can can cause. Mm, I guess that's kind of the, uh, the, the, the big takeaway here is we traffic so much in uh, rationalization, celebratory mindset, uh, and also the the unhealthy baseline so that if we're a few steps ahead of normal uh we we think that's great rather than seeing the whole thing as a big fat disaster and so you know the idea of of getting a zero tolerance policy going might not be pleasant for a lot of people but it seems like that could be the thing that could push people uh into a new realm of uh functioning like the fertility stories that you tell yeah, and and with with uh, the increasing aging population, people are concerned about uh, what they have seen in their parents. They've seen uh, significant cognitive dysfunction, not just Alzheimer's, but uh, the memory loss, um, uh, strokes, and the the ongoing care that's needed. Basically. They have seen their parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles uh, go through this decline. And because modern medicine is so good, they can keep people alive, but with low quality of life. And people start losing their independence. And the thing that people are afraid of um, are uh, being like that. In particular, they're afraid of losing their their memories, they're afraid of uh, uh, losing their driver's license and um, things like that, that, you know, it's, I mean, I'm, God, I'm happy if somebody can take my license away and drive me wherever I need to go. <laughs> oh, I'd take but, that bet right now. If uh, yeah. if someone could drive me anywhere the rest of my life or an, a self-driving car, I would, I would turn in my, turn in my paperwork right now and just sit in the back seat. Yeah. Um, I wrote an article called Healthy Driving, and a lot of it was basically, you know, we've got to have a good brain, and if we're eating carbohydrates, 
we're not going to have a good brain. So uh, there's a lot more accidents from people whose brain function becomes impaired because they're um, they're pre-diabetic or they're you know they've just eaten a donut. Um, I mean, it doesn't compare to the number of alcohol-related accidents. And and so you know we need to look at these things. We need to look at the fact that we talk about prevention, but we never implement it. It's it's you know, it's almost a political term these days, and it's it's really sad. And people, people have seen that, and people with aging are looking for something to do that is going to change it. And I'm hoping, and I've been hoping from the beginning, and um, I'm hoping that the increasing trend of reducing sugar, low carbohydrate. Um, Improving, you know, increasing body fat, increasing uh, healthy dietary fats. Uh, I'm hoping that that trend, which has come and gone mm. ever since I can remember, uh, uh, only to be fizzled out by the sugar industry, for example. I- I'm hoping this trend that seems to be catching on now is here for good. And um, we'll have to wait and see what happens. Well, thanks to your hard work, we're we're making progress, and it is heartwarming to see that. I still feel like most of the responsibility is on us to get our middle finger working and and stick it to the people that are still putting up billboards, uh, convincing us to um, you know drink the vitamin water after the workout. There I go. I just lost another sponsor. But uh, before we let you go, Phil, I, I want to cover that interesting insight when you talked about uh, high-intensity exercise uh, still in the context of improving your fat burning and how you can burn more fat calories even through the process of a workout that clearly is uh, causing some demand to be burning glucose. But I think it's all about doing it correctly and also coming to the table with those fat-burning capabilities thanks to your diet and, of course, thanks to the aerobic base building that you've been talking about for 40 years. Yeah, and and um, I learned uh, I learned in, in college that we, we burn fats for energy, we burn sugar for energy, and um, there wasn't the kind of research that, that we had that would come up as the years went by. Um, but I knew it, um, and, and I learned how to practically, you know, uh, implement a lifestyle to improve it. And when I started, uh, testing athletes on a treadmill and measuring oxygen and carbon dioxide, which tells you how much fat and how much sugar you're burning, uh, it, it basically proved, uh, that what I was talking about made sense. And, um, uh, in fact, it, it was only a, a few years ago, uh, and th- this is how I met Paul Larson, Professor Paul Larson, who um, is often a, I, I call him my professor. Um, uh, he had, um, him and his team had published a study that showed that hip athletes uh, or young college students who were doing high intensity training um, could burn high amounts of fat. And I, I sent them an email. Uh, you know, when you, when you publish something, you, you 
authors are always hoping somebody sends them a letter and and nobody usually does <laughs> but i sent paul a letter and he you know he said hey I, i've been on your program for a long time and i i was happy to hear that and i sent him mike pig's test i said look here's a guy i i didn't look look at how much fat he's burning when his heart rate is like 170 something and it was basically what his study had shown and um so we you know we've been uh friends and colleagues ever since but um the evolution of that fat burning for me from being a college student uh has been interesting in looking back in the beginning it was really really tough people would call me names um uh, you know i had people uh storm out of lectures because of the things i i would say i mean it was it, it was kind of funny actually um uh in fact the 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 first time i read about this young doctor who mentioned fat burning was a guy named Timothy Noakes. I was I was new in practice, he was new in practice. It was actually a study he did on it called um heart disease in marathon runners. And um <laughs> imagine that. Imagine that. And they wouldn't let him present the paper at a conference. And so he he called this person that person. Finally they said, "Okay, you could present it." but they gave him a slot during the coffee break. <laughs> oh, mercy. So, you know, things have changed and uh I'm I'm, you know, Tim is one of my heroes um um and and you know, things are things are changing but, but we're still left with a, a a population that's uh overfat and we're we're seeing increasing rates of chronic preventable diseases and when are we going to stop this um why can't people understand that sugar is the new tobacco um and part of its addiction and part of it's all the ads like you mentioned um and watching tv doesn't help because that's how they keep people addicted um but the bottom line is that it's all up to us as individuals and the bottom line is it's all in your hands listeners and me and you Brad it's all in our hands and we we are responsible for our health uh in more ways than we are not so um uh that's that's a good conclusion i love it phil listen to you summarizing <laughs> the whole thing listeners where we have life changing advice from from the main man who's been who's been doing this for decades now you had such great success with the elite athletes and that's when i was first drawn to you there's nothing like uh getting your ass kicked by someone who's burning more fat to have you turn into uh, turn on to a new idea and a new training philosophy and new diet so uh i love what you're doing over there at philmaffetone.com that's where we're going to invite people to learn more about you and look at your great products that you're putting out and anything else you want to promote or where should we connect? Well, philmaffetone.com is the, the website which has all those articles um, on health and fitness. There's probably over 200 of them there. Um, and of course, all my books are out there, but the articles are free. Um, and 
Um, and that's the place to go for for the kind of information we've been talking about. Phil Maffetone, we got a wrap. Thank you for spending time with us and good luck. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Brad. You too. Thank you for listening to the show. We would love your feedback at getoveryourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And we would also love if you could leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a hassle. You have to go to desktop iTunes, click on the tab that says ratings and reviews, and then click to rate the show anywhere from five to five stars. And it really helps spread the word so more people can find the show and get over themselves, because they need to. Thanks for doing it.